All right, let's get started with uh, as we learn more and more about the Bride of Christ, the church. And today, particularly, we're looking at the expression of the Bride of Christ on, on this campus at Grace Covenant Church. We'll use some universal language and show you the details in particular. Does this video look familiar to you? Let's see if it plays this week. Yeah, here we go. Epic military campaign, Iwo Jima, 1945. It is the United States Marine Corps against the Imperial Japanese Army. And the island of Iwo Jima is just a small little something, right, about 600 miles south of Tokyo, but it was strategic to ending uh, the Pacific War. And the reason was because it had three Air Force bases there, and, and it would become a, sur a, a staging area to invade the mainland Japan. And so the military experts uh, looked at the situation and realized, you know, we could probably take that island in a few days. In a few days, we could have this you know, battle of Iwo Jima behind us. And so for the first three days, they shelled the island with everything the Navy had. And then when the Marines uh, made land, nothing went according to plan. And it took four dread-filled days to occupy the high point of the southern part of Iwo Jima. And that is the video that was taken by the Marine watching the bigger flag be raised. That Marine never left the island. They don't even have his, his remains. The photographer that ultimately took the picture, he won a Pulitzer Prize. It took four days to get to that hilltop. That photo represents the bloodiest five weeks, one of the bloodiest five weeks of the Second World War. 7,000, at least 7,000 Marines died, and about 25,000 were maimed in that war. And so that photo and that video, it became a memorial. And you can go now to Arlington Cemetery and see that. It is a memorial to the United States Marine Corps. Here's what it says on it. In honor and in memory of the men of the United States Marine Corps who have given their lives to their country since November 10th, 1775, what's that all about, that memorial? It's so that it's a statement that says, do not forget the Battle of Iwo Jima. It's a statement that says, remember the sacrifices of the Marines, the United States Marine Corps. And I think a bigger picture of this is it forges the spirit of the Marines, Semper Fi. They are faithful. The idea of making memorials is a God value. Every monumental salvation experience that has taken place in the Bible, God says, wait a minute, don't forget this. And sometimes the memorials are monuments themselves, the monuments of salvation. They're, they're stacks of giant boulders, and sometimes they are are. Uh, rituals that are repeated time and time again because, because the Lord wants us to remember these moments about what he's like and what he's done. Today, we're looking at the sacred acts of the bride of Christ. We're looking at the particular rituals that Jesus has required us to repeat so that we might never forget that we would always remember. They are instituted in our lives and in the church so that we would remember that 
that it's grace that transforms. It's only God's grace that can make us well. It is, it is God's intervention that causes us to be saved. And in our current situation, it is worse than we think. And our future ultimate end is greater than we could imagine. And so he puts these memorials in our lives so that we will not forget what he's like and what he's done. There's a, a battle in the Bible that he never wants anyone to forget. It's called the Battle of Egypt. Remember this always. It's a new nation of slaves, Israel, and they are trying to escape from a world-dominating power, Egypt. These, these Jews, they can stack bricks, but to beat a pharaoh, it's impossible. And so here's the military plan that they've been told by Moses from God. Do this. Follow these instructions. Obey these orders. Take a lamb, an innocent lamb. It needs to be without any blemish, a perfect lamb. Slaughter the lamb. Take the blood of that lamb and put it over the headboard and on the side post of your doors outside and then get inside and eat as fast as you can. Cook that lamb over an open fire. Right? You eat with your sneakers on, your bags packed. You don't have time for the bread to rise. There's no yeast in this bread. It is unleavened. Now wait. You watch. Listen. As God will do all the work. Because then God sends, Yahweh sends the tenth plague. And this plague is the plague of justice. It is God taking account. And every single house in Egypt is visited. And those people that obeyed the orders and did what they were told with the lamb, as justice would come to their house, their house would be protected by the blood of that lamb and pass over that house. And that house would not be judged, and they would all live. And that's why that event, the Battle of Egypt, is called Passover. Passover. And, and Egypt literally chases Israel out of town. That's how they were... That's how, overwhelmingly they were conquered. And so here's what God says. Okay, do not forget the battle of Egypt. Okay, we're calling this Passover. Start your calendars over. This is day one, year one. Every year on this anniversary, you reenact this event. You tell that story. You have the oldest son say, why is this day special than others? Any different than others? Why is this day so? It's because he wants you to remember the nature of God the promises of God, the fulfillment of those promises, the acts of God. Remember. Living by faith, living by faith is mostly it's remembering well. It's remembering what to remember and then living by it. And so the bride of Christ, to ensure that we would live by faith, to ensure that that would happen, Jesus Christ instituted two ordinances. Sometimes they're called sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's table because he wants us to live in a way that, you know, glorifies him and reflects obedience. And it's like, you guys, I'm going to remember the right things. 
And so that's how we get these ordinances. Today, what we're going to look at is like the universal definition of those and then the local expression, what happens in these walls and how we use those ordinances. Let me explain quickly what an ordinance is. An ordinance is an outward rite instituted by Christ to be administered by the church as a visible sign of the saving truth of the Christian faith. So, it's, it's, again, it's, it's kind of, I'm using secular words, it's a ritual instituted by Jesus Christ that the church gets to exclusively enjoy to reflect what is involved in the Christian faith. And they are to help us understand the goodness of God, the nature of God, and, and the way he's, he's saved us. Ordinances are ordinary things made extraordinary. We take ordinary water in baptism, and then we use it in a way that God has described and prescribed for us, and it becomes something extraordinary. There's something very special happening here, and I'll tell you, I'm not sure what's happening in a spiritual way, but it's more than the ordinary. And then we take, we're going to have communion later on. We take simple bread and a simple cup, and it's ordinary, and then we remember in the right ways the way Jesus used that, and then it becomes, what, extraordinary. So ordinances are ordinary things that are changed into something different. Ordinances are, they're a roadway. They're more like a freeway for us to connect to each other, to the universal church all around the world for all time, and to connect also to, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit that lives within us, and the Father as well. That's what happens in the experiences of ordinance. God knows, he knows, he pities us, and he knows how easy we forget. And so he requires us to, to remember these things because it's difficult to live a life experientially in the fullness of our forgiveness. And so he's like, okay, wait, each, each time we do this, maybe we get a little bit greater understanding of what these words, atonement and, and forgiveness and and restoration, what they mean. So he wants us to deeply experience them, existentially, right, in, the, in a soulish way, but even experientially with our senses. He wants to get all, as many senses as possible in our physical bodies so that we might maybe be able to connect the dots between the physical world and the spiritual world. Of all the things the church does, these two things, these are unique to the church. This, this, these were, this baptism and the Lord's table. Jesus Christ himself instituted these things. Jesus Christ himself participated in these two things. And Jesus Christ himself commanded us to do these things. So there's nothing like these. And, and what's, what's a little bit spooky is that for 2,000 years, the bride of Christ has been doing this. They've been participating in communion, and we have been enjoying baptism. And it is a way of connecting ourselves with each other in this room, right? out around the city, around the globe, and, and in history past. We're all this, we have this thing in common, which is the point, is to have this thing in common. So it's like, wow, right? Wow. It's not ordinary. All right, let's look first at the meaning of the Lord's Supper. It's sometimes it's called the Lord's Table. It's often called communion, and I'll, you'll know why in just a moment. Uh, you need to know, first of all, that the Lord's Supper is a simple reenactment of Jesus leading the, the Passover meal with his beloved friends on the night that he was betrayed and ultimately taken to trial 
and crucified. You see, that's why I told you the Passover story. Because on that, on that anniversary, someone needs to lead, lead that Passover meal. Jesus was leading the Passover meal. And so they're all, they're all there together. And then he radically changes the meaning of the Passover meal. He interrupts it and just says, you've waited long enough. I am the fulfillment. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of all the hopes of that meal. I am the fulfillment of the Passover symbols. And now we're talking about freedom, not from the slavery of a country, but from the slavery and the debt of sin. So that's what Jesus is doing. And so now it goes from Passover to the Lord's table, and now we're replicating that. And what's the purpose of it? What's the meaning of the Lord's Supper? It's to remember. It's to remember what? It's to remember that we're saved by grace. Israel was saved by a miraculous intervention of God stepping in and doing all of the work, and so they were saved physically. Our fulfillment of the fullness of what that means is in in Ephesians 2. It is by grace. That means it's a gift. It is by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not of your, our own doing. It is a gift from God, and it's not a result of works. So that no one should boast about anything because God has done all of it. It is by God's grace alone that we're saved. God's done that. He did it all. And so, so the Lord's table is Jesus coming in and saying, okay, we're doing Passover, but I am that lamb. I am the innocent lamb that was without blemish. I, was the, I am the innocent lamb that is taking on the wrath that you deserve so that you might be spared. That's the Lord's table. We're remembering that, that we were saved from justice because of the blood of an innocent lamb, and Jesus is the lamb. The second meaning of the Passover, or the, the Lord's table, rather, is uh, not just remembering but also community. It's the idea that we are all in unity with one another. We're in unity with Jesus Christ. We're in unity with each other in this body of Christ, and we're in unity in the context of the universal church right now and historically. It's, it's a family event. We, we are connected all over. If, have, you ever been into, have you ever been to a friend's house where uh, right before the meal, like you'll, you'll gather together and you'll hold hands? And sometimes, you know, there's maybe more, more people than there is room, you know, and so everybody's kind of crowded together and you're holding hands. And sometimes there's just this pause because everybody's just like, okay, let's remember, let's think about where we are. And there have been a few times where I've thought, wow, I mean, we're all, I don't hold hands a lot. Let me just say that. Not even with my wife. Okay. So it's like, we're all holding hands. We're, we're absolute, we're literally connected to each other. We're touching each other all, look, this is, this is really something. That's what's happening in the Lord's table. We are holding hands with all the churches in Austin and in the country, in the world, and in time. Community. That's one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Who gets to participate in the Lord's Supper? Well, it says in the Bible that essentially um, examined believers, I would say. First, let's look at believers. It is a meal for family members, and it is for people that have put their faith in entirely in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And 
here at Grace Covenant Church, uh, there's different types of communions in different churches, and we have, we have what we called an open communion. So you don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be baptized. We have a value that's pervasive in the ordinances, and it's, we want every single person to participate. We want as many people to participate as possible. We want everybody to be enjoying this family moment. So your friends and visitors and family members that come here, by, by all means, let's have this meal together. If you're not yet a follower of, of Jesus Christ and you're with us today and we're going to have the Lord's table, just let it pass. That's okay. Because, you know, it's, it makes sense, right, that, that this is kind of an in-house event and, and you're not quite there yet, but no one's going to look, you know, in any way that's derogatory. It's just it's one of these things. So, so it's fair to pass it. Other people will be passing for other reasons. But you know what? We've been talking a lot about the beauty of the bride of Christ We've been talking a lot about the family and, and the forgiveness around here for a while. And maybe you've been part of those conversations. And maybe today is the day where you say, okay, I get it. It's not by my good deeds. It's not by trying to be better. It's not by trying to make up for the things that I've done wrong. I get it now 100% of my faith. I'm betting 100% of my forgiveness on what Jesus has already done in his death and his resurrection. And so if that's a thing that you want to do today, today could be your first communion. Today could be your first time in participating in a meal. You just need to have that prayer where you say, Lord, I'm, I'm not trusting in anything I'm doing. I, I can't boast in that. It's a gift alone. Come and join us in just a few minutes. Examined believer. You have to be a believer in Jesus Christ and all that means, and then you have to examine yourself because it's a special meal. It's not an ordinary meal. And Paul says you need to look at your attitude and your, your relationships. So he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, when he's talking about the Lord's table, he says, a person ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And the bigger context of that kind of has its application twofold. One, it's just conduct. You know, I mean, are you conducting yourselves in a manner that's worthy of this event? You know, are you, are you premeditatedly in, you know, repetitious sins against God? Then, hey, let's, let's get that right, you know. Let's make sure we're right there. Let's examine ourselves. And the second application in, in that section is talking about relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if it's like having a, 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 trying to have a harmonious meal at Thanksgiving. You've probably been part of the good and the bad of those. You know, if, if siblings, if there's a sibling fight going on, it doesn't make for a fun family meal, does it? You know, you go around the table and say, what are you thankful for this year? And you say, I'm thankful that in four years, my sister's going to leave for college. Okay. Really? Okay. So that's not a, that's not a, expression of family unities. So as it says in, in Romans, it's, it's as much as it's up to you, be at peace with one another. And if you've done as much as it's up to you to be at peace, then let's have this meal together. But those are the qualifying things in the, the Lord's table about having, being an examined believer. And so examine yourself before we take uh, communion in just a few moments. Uh, how do we do the Lord's Supper here at Grace Covenant Church? Uh, first of all, it, unity, you know, so when, when Jeremiah leads us, he's, we're going to pass out all the bread first and everybody just hold it because we want to all take it together. It's just a style thing. And then he'll do the same with the cup. 
And then in the context of the bread itself, the Passover meal was unleavened bread uh, because they were in a hurry at the first Passover, and then ultimately leaven or yeast became symbolic of sin, and so it meant pure. So we'll use unleavened bread, and then we're going to use gluten-free bread before anybody else was doing it. We were doing it before it was cool. And we do that because we want as many people as possible to be part of this event. And that's why we've chosen to spend, you know, the money we do to upgrade the bread. Wine, Jesus served wine. You bet he did. Do we serve wine? No, we do not. So the reason we do that is because we want as many people as possible to participate in this family event. And there's some people that all it takes is that much of real wine. And they're going to jump tracks and, and end up finding themselves doing things that they would regret. And we respect and understand the vulnerability of people with addictions and was like, well, just going to use grape juice. It doesn't matter that much because we want as many people as possible to enjoy this. How often do we do communion or how often should it be done? Some churches, mostly based on, on their traditions, they'll do it every single week because they want to remember every week. I, that's a good reason. Sometimes some churches on the other extreme will only do it once a year because when Jesus says, whenever you do this, and the this is Passover. So once a year at Passover, they do communion. Okay, that makes sense. Some churches, it's once a month, whatever, you know, regardless. What we do at Grace, this is just FYI, because some of you ask, is we try to have uh, the Lord's table at least 10 times a year. But when we work out our teaching calendar, we try to figure out what weeks would best complement and exalt that meal. In other words, we don't want communion to be kind of the worship time, a sermon time, and then go, oh, yeah, 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 we got to get to communion. We want the, like the, the teaching time to weave itself into and set up communion or come, sometimes come out of the Lord's Supper and into a, a teaching time that would, serve, that would show that we're kind of still having the same conversation. That's our value. That's what we try to do. Sometimes we are able to do that 10 times, sometimes more or less. We also, by the way, uh, do communion at uh, the, you know, the men's and women's retreats, the youth retreats, the various events that we do. Sometimes a home group Bible study, they'll do communions as well. They're welcome to do that. That's great. So the application for this part is pretty obvious. Examine yourself as a follower of Christ and enjoy the communion we'll have in just a few moments. Let's talk about uh, baptism now. The other ordinance is baptism. And right after Jesus conquered death... He met with those that were his, his faithful followers, and these were the last words according to the book of Matthew. Look what it says. And then Jesus came to them and said, look at this statement. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. I'm in charge, okay, of everything. And so this is what he says to do. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then it continues, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So he says, I'm in charge of everything now. And so here's what I want you to do. And so the apostles do that. Acts chapter 2, Peter has a, an amazing sermon and cuts people to the quick. And they say, what should we do? How do we respond to this extremely convicting message about Jesus Christ? He says, repent and be baptized. And so they did. <laughs> That's what they did. And in the New Testament, you can see that there's repentance and there's faith and then there's baptism all throughout the book of Acts. And it, baptism doesn't cause salvation. It is almost always the first expression of salvation. Because when Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded, that was one of his commands. And so the people get right on it. There's, 
There's no story of a believer in the Bible that's unbaptized. There's one exception, and, you know, and he becomes a believer and he sees the water and says, what prevents me from being baptized? Why do we have to wait? And so he was eager to obey and that was his expression of obedience. That's baptism. And the, the meaning of baptism is twofold. One, there's a connection with Jesus. Again, the idea of having a ritual that physically helps us understand what's taking place spiritually in our souls is one of the reasons that the Lord requires us to be part of, of this baptism experience. And so I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. There's a longer passage. I'm afraid we don't have time. But in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, Paul is using uh, baptism as a running illustration of how we should live our very lives and I want you to notice two things when we just read the first verse, four verses. One is that he's assuming every believer is already baptized because he's using that as his running illustration. And two, I want you to see that he's showing that we have a spiritual connection with the experience of Jesus, our King. And that experience can be like lived out in baptism. Okay, so I'm, I'm telling you there's a connection between our souls and the soul of Jesus, and it's demonstrated in a baptismal uh, sacrament. So here it is. With that in mind, now you know what to look for. What shall we say then? Uh, are we all to continue to sin uh, that grace might increase? I'm going to be forgiven anyway. Why don't I just live any way I want? And, and his answer is, no, no, no. May it never be. How shall you, how, how shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Huh, what does that mean? Well, let me explain with a illustration that we all have in common. Verse 3, or do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, having been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that it, as Christ was raised from the dead, okay, through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. So, look, you guys that were baptized, remember you were taken here and then you were buried and then you came back and you were alive again? Okay, that's what happened with us collectively on the cross. We were with him at death, we, with his death, we died. And then we were buried and then we were raised and we live a whole new life. Raised from the death, from the dead. Israel, out of Egypt, it's a whole new way of living life. How would you go back to slavery? I won't. Right. So the idea here is it's, we're connecting with the experience historically with Jesus Christ and the spiritual experience, and baptism gives us that physical memory. The second thing baptism is used for is cleansing. No, not a lot of time on that because it's rather obvious. In the Old Testament and in, in the culture at the time, you were baptized, you were cleansing yourself. And so baptism was used to say, I'm cleaning, you're, I'm making you clean again. Who participates in baptism? Believers. Believers participate in baptism. In the New Testament, you became a follower of Jesus Christ and then you were baptized. It's called, it's, it's called in the business, believer's baptism because only believers were baptized. In other words, uh, if you're at an age or condition where you were able to repent and understand what that means and able to live a life that would reflect those beliefs, then you would be baptized. In other words, there's, there's nothing in the New Testament about uh, baby or infant baptisms 
Now, there's churches around a lot of denominations. Actually, many denominations have been started because of how to interpret the ordinances, and we're not one of those denominations that does infant baptisms. There's reasons for the, good reasons why they do it, and there's good reasons why we don't. We do baby dedications. We have parents come up, and, and we dedicate them as, as parents saying, you know, this child, you know, the, the parents, this child is not our child. He or she has been given to us by God. Dear God, would you plant a seed of faith in this soul that we might be the light, we might be the water, that you would cause this growth to happen in our child. So we don't baptize uh, infants for that reason. We do the, the dedications instead. So how old, how old then? Or really the question is how young? As, as young as we feel like at this church, the parents have a grasp of that child's motive and, and understanding, and we'll, we'll find our way to make that a memorable experience as much as possible. If a child can grasp that and we feel like the parents are able to decide on that, then we want to be part of that. You can see this happen in very young children. If you've been part of their children's ministry, you know five-year-old children over there, you've seen changes in their lives because you see when the Spirit of God hits them and that seed cracks and life happens. So we want to be part of that. Uh, around here, we we will occasionally baptize people again if people want that. We, is it good to be baptized again? Look, as long as you understand it doesn't cause salvation or you're not like being born for a second time and a third time and a fourth time, but sometimes people are baptized when they are young and then they have like a prodigal daughter returns when they're 28. Like they were baptized at eight and they get it in a different way at 28. I want to be rebaptized. I want to restart this thing. It's like, yeah, I mean, sure, why not? How about a new memory attached to this? It's not like getting married again. It's more like a renewing of a vow. Why not? Why not? Whatever helps you remember well, whatever helps you get the most out of that. How is baptism done here at Grace? It seems, it seems, it seems apparent to us that in the New Testament, the people are baptized by immersion every time. They're taken down under the water and completely submerged and then brought back up. And there's some reasons why the meaning of the word itself Baptismo in, in Greek means to immerse, right? It means to dip. It means to plunge. It means, watch this passively, it means to be drowned. And let me tell you, as a pastor, uh, it, you think about that sometimes. Some of these people, you just go, man, you really need to experience the death of Jesus and to be buried with him. And when they come up, if they've been held down long enough, when they come up and they go, oh, and they go, Gosh, I feel like I've just been like born again. It's like, yeah, yeah, keep that attitude going. So that's just a little something from my journal that I write. But it's in the Greek, to be drowned, it's in the Greek. So not only is the word mean take down, also, again, the, the spiritual imagery is that you died with him, you were buried with him, you were raised with him. And, and the idea of washing, those things are, are predominant when... when a person is baptized in that manner. When and where at Grace we do these things, the various ministries oversee those. Our children's ministry has children's baptisms, and they make a pretty fun thing out of it. Our youth ministry, they save theirs up many times for the youth camp at the, in the middle of the summer, the last day of camp, and the families come out. Here, some of the adults' ministries will do that. 
sometimes in people's backyards. We'll have a couple of baptisms uh, at Grace Covenant Church in, in the building or if it, weather permitting outside. So that's how we do that. So the application for baptism is, what about you? What about you? There's not, there's not an unbaptized believer in the New Testament. And so when Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded, this is an easy way to, to obey, especially in our culture at this time. Why not be baptized? It doesn't, it's not even necessary. And that's the best part. Look what Spurgeon said in his commentary. It is the non-essentiality of baptism that makes it important to obedience. Do I have to do this? No. Why are you doing it? Because I'm, I want to obey. That's why. So if you're interested in being baptized, uh, we made a special, we bolded that box for you in the bulletin. You tear that off and put it in the plate on the way uh, during the offertory. You can put that in there. We'll, we'll get in touch with you. Living by faith is walking a balance beam. And the, and the way you live by faith is, is remembering well. Because the ordinances, they help us remember well. God in his mercy says, you guys are going to forget. And you always go dark when you forget. And you can fall off on either side. And there, there are times in our lives when things are not going well and, and in, in the suffocating loneliness and sometimes in our despair that can quench even the most glorious sunrise day after day after day. We find ourselves going, oh, no, where is God? Or he doesn't love me or he can't help me. And then communion shows up. The Lord's table reminds us everything we have is from him. That his nature is loving, and he has demonstrated his love by sending his only begotten son. And, and so communion says to us in those times of despair and loneliness, it says, I'm here, and I never left. So let's walk through the fire together. You see, it helps you remember well. Sometimes you can fall off the balance beam the other way the deceitfulness of success. And you're in high cotton, and you think, look, at, by these callous hands, I have produced all of this stuff. And you can forget. Yeah, you find yourself being proud and greedy. And then, what, baptism. Someone gets baptized, and you are reminded, you remember well, and you're reminded that you died. That ego that's getting too big is dead, and it was buried, and this new one was resurrected. And now you can't even remember to think about yourself. And now, now you can move on and be humble and gracious and generous. You see? Living by faith is, is, is remembering well. And thank God that he's given us these two, play, these two ways of remembrance. We do the Lord's table and we do baptisms for five reasons. I, I, there's more, I think. But one, he told us to. And at Grace Covenant Church, we do what he, we're told. It, two, it glorifies God. It honors God in just our obedience. Three, it's good for our souls. It, it, there's something supernatural taking place. We don't know what it is. For it helps us remember the nature of God and what he's done. And, and fifth, I think it helps us remember his presence in this very moment. In this very moment, he's here. 
And until that day, until that day, we'll do these things. Join me in a short prayer and we'll start our first application and enjoy the Lord's table. Lord, we are grateful. We are overwhelmed with your foresight to see us being forgetful where we continually get lost in despair or arrogance. And you've brought to us these moments of remembrance, but they're not just, we just, we agree that they are, they are supernatural experiences. They are sacred. They're set apart for, apart for a purpose. And Lord, we honor you by, by doing these things. We are grateful that you would ask us to dine with you so that we might laugh and enjoy your love and beauty, your acts of grace, your strength and courage, and that you would, you would dine with us. You'd let us be buried with you that we might be raised with you. So thank you, Lord. Let us have a deeper understanding of who you are, what you've done, and your presence in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name.